Well, we're going to pick up on our, our sermon series again this morning. We started a, a few weeks ago and then took a break last week with the Keens being here with us. Um, but we've been talking about the overcoming life, the overcoming life. Started this series talking about uh, our identity in Christ, that God has called us to live a life that, that is an overcoming life. He says to the children of Israel when they're coming out of Egypt, in the book of Deuteronomy, he says to them, you are the head, not the tail. You are above, not below. And that is what God's word would be to us as well. That he has called us more than conquerors. That he has set us above. He has called us to be victorious. To li- not live in defeat. I've met so many Christians over the years who just seem like they're just barely making it through. Right? And he, I don't know if you've met those people. I've met them that they just... Oh, man, you would think that Christianity is the biggest drag. It is the hardest thing and that walking with Jesus. Now, we know that there will be trials and that there will be opposition. But I've got to tell you, when I understand who I am in Christ, even the trials and the opposition and the struggles I can celebrate in because I know that God is doing something in me. But I have to start with that identity first. Who am I in Christ? We, we talked about that earlier. I'm more than a conqueror. I am a joint heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The God of the universe, I am a co-heir with him. That's pretty awesome. We talked about uh, embracing victory. Because you are the head and not the tail. Because God has given you the victory in Jesus Christ. It's not an if, it's an absolute. It's a sure thing. But sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we can get distracted. Anyone easily distracted? Yeah, there are a few of you. Some of you are like, what did he just say? Um, (laughs) Right. Thanks, Andrew, for that honesty. We can be easily distracted. I read a a cute thing, and it just popped into my head. Otherwise, I would have actually brought it. This lady was talking about she she was diagnosed with adult attention deficit disorder, and it was like multiple A's. There were more A's. There was A-A-A-A-D. And she said, you know, the way she knows she has it is she would uh, be walking out to the mailbox to get the mail, and she would notice that the car was dirty. So she would go into the house uh, to grab the keys for the car so that she could go wash the the car. And then when she grabbed the keys, she saw something laying on the table that needed her attention. And and it was like it just kept going and going. By the end of it, she never actually did the first thing that she started out to do. We can be easily distracted in our lives. There's things that are vying for our attention. And we can be easily distracted. The thing is, we have to remember that we have the victory in Jesus Christ. That he's given us all we need to live victorious in him. But we have to embrace it. We actually have to lay hold of it and remind ourselves of that daily. Daily. Amen? It's a daily thing. It's a daily battle. Well, this morning I want to talk about temptation. In fact... Today is going to be a, it's a, two, a two-part message. We're going to start today and then continue next Sunday. Overcoming temptation. Who here this morning would say you've ever dealt with temptation? All right. Uh, every hand? Did we see every hand? All right. Good deal. Everybody deals with it. Everyone deals with temptation. No one gets away with not having to fight temptation. It's a battle for everybody but here's the thing we don't all fight the same temptations right 
Because we're different people, we're wired differently. Some of us are men, some of us are women. We have different backgrounds, we have different interests, we have different upbringings. And so we're, we're different, our personalities are different. And so every one of us will face temptations in different areas. Now, Scripture talks about this a lot. In fact, the Gospels, Paul talks about this a lot. The writers uh, of the Gospels, uh, of the, 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 the epistles, write, talk about this a lot. That it's actually kind of encouraging to go back in Scripture and realize that the, the people in Corinth and the people in Ephesus and the, the people in Galatia uh, were not too different from us. They had stuff in their lives that they battled against, that they wrestled against, and that they had to be reminded that they were victorious in Jesus Christ. But not all the same temptation. Every one of us have different things. But we do need to know that we are all susceptible no one gets away with not being tempted. Now, you might say, well, there's, there's some temptations and there's some things that are bigger than others. True. There's things that, that are going to be more recognizable. But the truth is that every one of us deals with temptation. When we lived up in Alaska, I got to go on a sixth grade camp with Micah. And uh, it was great. We were up in the mountains. We walked on a glacier. Um, like, science camp in Alaska is amazing. Absolutely amazing. One of the things that they did up there, because it's Alaska, they, they taught a lot of survival techniques on the science camp. And uh, it was one of those camps where the kids actually could bring knives. Public school, the whole deal. Because they had to, you know, there was things that they had to learn. Um, one of the things they taught them, though, is if you're stuck out in, in the bush, uh, you need to be able to capture uh, animals to, to eat. And so they, they taught the kids how to make a snare, make a trap, uh, out of things that they found lying around. It was really cool to watch these kids try and figure this out. Some of them would have died within a few days out in the bush by themselves. A few, <laughs> a few of them, though, uh, yeah, right? You could eat or be eaten in one of those situations up there. Um, but a few of them really got the, the, the knack for it. The key, though, in making a snare or making a trap was to, to bait it with something that the animal, that the prey, would be attracted to. Otherwise, it would just be, a, you know, it'd stick with a string on it, and they would not even pay any attention. And so, you know, they showed us how to, to set the little, you know, bend the, 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 the branch and get the string tied to it and get a little noose set up and then put bait right in the middle of it. So when that little animal or rabbit or whatever came along, a bear, no, we, we didn't do bear traps, um, and ate that bait, took the bait that they would be ensnared and trapped just like that. Now, we didn't catch anything. Our, our traps and our snares were not that elaborate. Um, I really doubt any of us would have done well out in the bush, but it was a fun exercise. But here's the thing. The enemy knows. The enemy knows that there are things in our lives that we are attracted to that, that can be bait in our lives. Again, different for every one of us. But there are things that the enemy will put in front of us. There are things that will come against us that are appealing to us. We could all agree this morning that we're not tempted by stuff we don't like, right? Things I'm not interested, I'm not tempted by. But the things that catch my eye, the things that hold my attention, the things that I'm prone to or appeal to me, those are the things, those are the areas that become a temptation. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to build a framework uh, for this conversation so we understand, because because I think when I say temptation, anyone, especially anyone who's grown up in church, 
we go, oh yeah, I've heard that word a lot, right? Flee temptation, don't, don't be tempted. And in fact, as a kid growing in church, I kind of carried this weight of don't be tempted, like as this rock on my shoulder that even when I dealt with temptation, I felt guilty and I felt far from God. In fact, it went back to that whole identity thing where I don't feel like his son because I'm dealing with this temptation. I want to address that in a way it's a little deeper than just don't do it, right? Remember the, the drug, the anti-drug campaign in the 80s, just say no. And they found out it doesn't work. It doesn't work, that there actually has to be more substance behind the no. There has to be more understanding. It's not enough to just tell a kid, just say no. Why? Because I said so. That doesn't work either. It, I don't know about you, my parenting, because I said so, doesn't hold a lot of water. And so I want us to build a framework so we can come at this from a point of understanding and knowledge. Um, I don't know about you guys, I used to love watching G.I. Joe when I was a kid. Not the new movies, but the, the cartoons, right? Any G.I. Joe fans, right? You guys are like, you guys are dating yourselves right now. Um, if you remember, G.I. Joe, they would all, you know, they'd be fighting and doing whatever, you know, there would always be a sinister plan and Cobra and everything, and they would get through the episode, and at the end, there was always a teachable moment, right? There was always a lesson, right? And, and Roadblock, one of the, the, the G.I. Joes would come out, and, and they would talk about something, and, and then they would make this statement, and now you know, right? And what was the response? And, oh, you guys are going to say it with some oomph. And now you know. Thank you. All right. We're going to do that again in a second. Um, but even if you're not a G.I. Joe fan, we're going to get you. So it's, uh, the, he would say, and now you know. And the kids would all go, and knowing is half the battle. So you've got to say it with some oomph and excitement. Um, all right, and, and I, I might, through this message, say that a few times. I might say, and now you know, and then you know the appropriate response. So we're going we're gonna to practice. I'm going to say, and now you know, and then you say, and knowing is half the battle. Okay, you guys ready? All right, and now you know. All right, good deal. Knowing is half the battle. Well, when it, when it comes, this might have been a huge mistake. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't bring any action figures for you, Andrew. This is true when it comes to dealing with sin and temptation. Because I believe that we're, for so many believers, that we're undereducated. We don't have an understanding of how this thing works. All we know is that I'm dealing with stuff in my life. And so when we arm ourselves with understanding, with knowledge, with finding out what God's word says about what temptation is and what sin is, it leads us to a place where we can experience and have an overcoming life. See, because temptation's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Till, till we go to be with Jesus on this side of heaven, that, that temptation will be a part of a reality. And so we have to arm ourselves and equip ourselves and understand how do we stand against these things that would want to bring destruction in our lives. And so, as Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. What is ignorance? Simply not knowing something. We, we use that as a term, right? It's slight again. You're so ignorant. What you're saying to someone is you don't know what you don't know, which when you think about it is it's not really a slight, is it? I'm ignorant in all kinds of things. 
I just, there's tons of stuff I don't know. And then that's okay. I want to grow and I want to learn more. But in those places I don't know, it's like, okay, Lord, I don't want to be ignorant of God's word. And the tools he's given me to walk in victory, especially in the area of temptation and sin. And so this is why we want to have this conversation. We want to talk about what is temptation, what is sin, and how do we live in such a way that we're not subject to being constantly walking in defeat in these areas of our lives. I want us to be able to say, and now we know. Right, all right. So here's what I want to jump off with this morning. There's a couple of sections I want to cover. The first is this. It's just talking about sin. What is sin? And, and now, of course, the doctrine of sin, and, and, and there's volumes of books written trying to understand sin. So in the next few minutes, I'm not going to do a, a complete treatise or a j- complete job of unpacking sin, but I want to get to the nut, nutshell of what sin is about. Sin is simply this. Sin is missing the mark. It's missing the mark. When you read about sin in Scripture, it's, it's this idea that you're aiming for something and you didn't hit it. Think of an archer, right, with a bow and arrow with the big, you know, Robin Hood with his target. And, you know, and, and, and here's Robin Hood every time hitting the bullseye or doing the whole splitting the arrow with the other arrow thing. And then there's the other guy who can't even hit the target. Sin is simply that. It is missing the target, missing what you're aiming for. Well, what are we aiming for? What Romans 8 tells us. We're aiming to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That is believers, as Christ followers, that is our ultimate goal. Because out of that, everything else will flow. And so I have to put my eyes, fix my eyes eyes on Jesus, and and determine that I want to be conformed to his image. It's part of this transformation pathway that we're talking about this year, being conformed to the image of Jesus. Well, what does sin do? Sin deforms. It doesn't conform, it deforms. It twists and distorts, and it causes us to miss the mark, to not hit the mark. It's those things that are not a part of God's heart for us, the things that God would say, those things lead you to destruction and not to life. The same things for the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. The book of Deuteronomy is full of these, these laws, these, these things that God says, listen, if you would obey me and walk in these things and, and not, and not uh, worship idols and not follow after the pagan gods, right? We have the Ten Commandments set out for us to say, listen, here's the mark. Don't have any, no, no other gods before me. No graven images, right? These are the things. Don't Take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. These things that God says, these are things that are part of your life that need to be uh, the foundational uh, part of who you are so that you don't miss the mark. Now, is God saying don't miss the mark because he's just going, listen, I, I want you to just perform, right? Just perform. It's all about performance. No, not at all. It's about him saying I have a better plan for you and a better way. It's about being off course from God's intent and his plan for my life. Understanding that Jeremiah 29, 11 says there's a, there's a plan that God has for us, a purpose and a destiny. We prayed for Raj and Dorothy this morning. Why? Because they're walking in God's plan for their lives. I'll tell you what. 
the conversation would have been different if, I, if they had come to me and said, hey, Pastor Barry, this is where we're going. This is what's going on. And if I sense, wow, there's something that's not right here, we would have had a conversation that went that way to say, is this really where God has you going? But through prayer and them praying and other people praying, there was just a unanimous, yes, this is the right direction. This is a good thing. And it's amazing when you're in that place walking out God's plan for your life. Sin will derail us from God's plan. He will take us off course. Sin will take us off course, away from the things that God has intended for us. The blessing, the abundance, the fruitful ministry, the marriage, the family, the kind of life that God wants you to have. Why? Because you're above, not below. And so when we, when we engage in sin, in, in, in sinful behavior, and allowing our hearts to be distracted, it takes us away from where God, God, what God's best is for us. I heard this quote in college. Uh, I tried to actually look it up, couldn't find out who, who initially said it, but I heard this, my, in fact, probably my first week in Bible college. It says this, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. The Bible says that we need to guard our hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Well, I say that, say the word sin, and there's probably all kinds of things that come into your mind about what that means or what that looks like. Did you know there's really two kinds of sin, two types of sin? I want to address those two types because this becomes kind of the basic framework for us in this conversation regarding temptation. See, because I can't talk about temptation until I understand what sin is, right? And so here's what I want to introduce you to. There's two types of sin. The first is called iniquity. The first is called iniquity. And the second is called trespass. Trespass. The one that we're more familiar with in, in a Western church culture is the idea of trespass. Trespass is the action of sinning. It's doing something you know you're not supposed to do. It's when you're a kid and, and mom's going out for the afternoon and she's made fresh baked cookies, right? It's the age old the cookie jar on the counter. Don't have a cookie. Trespass is going to the jar, grabbing a cookie, and eating one. That is trespass. It is the act of actually walking out sinful behavior. But what leads us to that place, what's happening on the inside, is this thing called iniquity. It's the process, it's the motivation of my heart, that the minute my mom says, don't grab a cookie, something inside of me says, go get a cookie. Oh, those cookies look good. You know... Oh, smell those cookies, right? And we give place and we entertain the iniquity that part of us that wants to direct us off of God's path and His plan and walking in obedience, whether to Him or to my mom, right? And takes us off the path to a place that's not good. We have to understand this. The Bible is very clear that sin always leads to death. It always leads to death. Now, it might not be a physical death. It could be, but most often uh, it's not that kind of death. There's death of relationships, death of trust, 
See, because when I break trust, when someone says, hey, I need you to not do that, and you go, okay, I won't do that, they leave or something happens and you do it anyway, what happens when they find out? Well, I'm not trusting you with the cookie jar anymore. I'm using a very simplistic illustration, but of course, this applies to much bigger things, right? I don't trust you anymore. The death of trust, the death of intimacy, the death of friendship, the death of finances, Finances that end up going in the tank because of sinful choices, because of trespasses that lead us down a road that is not God's best. See, sin always leads to death. Trespass being the action. Iniquity being the contemplation or the desire. Trespass has an external result. But iniquity does something to the inside of us. God says, I don't, want to, I don't want you to live with the condemnation and the weight of the trespass or the iniquity. As we drank the cup from, from the cup this morning, we ate that bread. We were remembering that Jesus died not just for the trespass, but he, he died for the iniquity. He died for, for that part of us that is wayward, that wants to do its own Thing. I don't know about you, but there's some days where that part of me is kind of quiet, and there's some days that that part of me is rearing its ugly head like crazy, and I have to beat it back, go, no, no, no. And we fight this battle daily. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says this, He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Think about this for a minute, church. He was wounded for our transgressions. Is a wound an external thing or an, an, an internal thing? It's external. You can see a wound. He was cut open. You could see the wound on the inside. It's an external uh, hurt or pain or, or injury. But bruising, internal or external? Internal. No coincidence that Isaiah writes here and says, He was wounded for our transgressions. That the beating that he took physically on his body was seen externally for the transgressions in our lives. But he was bruised. There was an internal beating that, that took place. Why? So that that internal bleeding, that internal shedding of blood, which is what a bruise is, would cover our iniquity. Is God amazing or what? That, that blows my mind that God would pay so much attention to the detail that he would equip us. Why? Because... This is knowledge, right? And now you know. All right, you guys are awake. And now you know because God says the wounding is external. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. That God says, I covered it all. I covered it all. I took care of those things for you. But now you have to walk in the victory that I've secured. Here's the problem, and I want to focus specifically with iniquity. Trespass, I think, I think we get the idea of trespass, that at a certain point I make a decision to do something I'm not supposed to do. Years back I preached a sermon uh, in, in our youth group called The Line, The Line, and I, I was speaking to our youth about this idea that there's a line that you're not supposed to cross, right? We all get that. There's a line that I'm not supposed to cross. There's a line where I've crossed from being, uh, 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 being safe and, and, and I crossed the line and now I'm sinning. 
And it's a very juvenile perspective of what sin is. See, because we have a culture, not just with young people, but in general, where people go, how close can I get to that line before I cross over? How much can I flirt with that coworker before it's technically a sin? How much can I uh, withhold on my taxes before it's technically wrong? And here's the thing. God says, stop flirting with the line. Trespass, right? It's not about crossing the line. Iniquity is the thing that says in you, it's okay to get close to the line. The Bible says, flee. Flee the lustful desires of your youth. The things when you didn't know, when you were immature, the things that God says have no part to that, and you're like, well, I don't know. You don't know half the battle. But as you get older, as, you're, as you gain knowledge and, and wisdom and understanding, iniquity w- would say get close to the line, and, and really the heart of God would be identify the line and go the opposite direction. It's the thing that was in Joseph when, when he was 17 years old, that when he ends up being uh, assaulted, right? It's it, because that's what it was in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife comes against him and makes sexual advances against him. What does he do? He doesn't go, how, how close can I? No, he runs out of the house down the street, leaving his cloak behind him because he understood there's something inside of me that says don't get close to the line. I want to deal with this idea of iniquity. See, iniquity will always lead us to a new master. Iniquity is about who is in control of your life. It's about the mastery of your life. The wisdom of this world would say, you are your own master. You are your own master. What the truth of God's word says that you're not your master, you've been bought with a price. That you don't belong to yourself, that you belong to God. And so iniquity would say, well, you're your own master. You're in in control of your own destiny. And to the degree that we'll lay a hold of that and believe those lies, we will live in bondage. We will live stuck unable to move forward in the things that God has for us. Psalm 119, 133 says this, Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. God, I want to know your word. Why? So that iniquity will not have dominion, mastery over who I am. I want to stay in step to your promise, another word for God's word. I want to know what you say about who I am and the things that you have for me. I want to know those things so well so that when iniquity, when the lie about, hey, get close to the line comes in, I go, that's not what God has for me, and I can move in the opposite direction. Why? Because when I get close to the line, iniquity has now become a dominant thing in my life, and I'm giving it place to ruin me. I'm giving it place to master my life. In Acts chapter 8, verse 23, we see the story of Simon the sorcerer. Peter is ministering, and, uh, and this guy named Simon, who's a sorcerer, he comes up, and, and he's, not, he's not a Christ follower, but he recognizes that there's this power, and he's like, hey, I want some of what you got, because that's pretty awesome. Because Peter and John, they're praying for people, and they're getting, you know, getting healed, and I mean, there's just signs and wonders. And this guy's like, man, that, that could be good for business. 
guy named Simon. That could be good for business. Hey, could I pay you to get some of what you have for, my, for myself? Because I want my life to be better, and I want my business to be better. But here's the response to Simon, verse 23. I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. The gall of bitterness. It basically, there's unsavory things going on in your life. There's things happening in your life that don't honor God. And that you are in the bond of iniquity. That you are bound up by the sin in your own heart in such a way that you can't recognize truth when you see it. Think about how audacious that is. For this, this man to come to these followers of Jesus, he recognizes the power, but he doesn't recognize the power. Why? Because he's deceived by the iniquity in his own heart. And Psalm 66, verse 16 through 19 says this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to my voice, the voice of my prayer. This passage is the sobering one. The writer here is saying, if I had entertained, if I would allowed iniquity to stay in my heart, if I cherished it and said, you know, it's okay. I've got it under control. I've got this. I, I can stop any time I want. If I allow iniquity to have that kind of mastery and dominion in my life, he says here, the Lord would not have listened to me. The Lord would not have listened. And so often we equate the external sin as being the thing that separates us from God, that makes us feel far. But the truth of the matter is, it's the iniquity, it's the condition of our heart that builds the walls. It's the condition of our heart and the direction of our heart that stops us from being effective, from feeling intimate and close with Jesus Christ, from hearing the heart of the Father. You choose to cherish your misguided ways and desires. They will become your master and they will be your authority. It's not an if. It's an absolute. When you play with fire... You get burned. When you play with fire, you get burned. The Lord will not bless a wayward heart. Not because He doesn't want to, but because He cannot. Because it is contrary to His own law. His own, what is He has established. Does that mean He doesn't love you? Not at all. Because we've read in Romans, in fact, we read last time, what can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. There's nothing in all creation... Nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God, right? Outside of ourselves. God, and, and so when I feel far from God, He's not far from me. I'm wayward. The prodigal son, the father waited for the son and he never stopped loving the son. But there was a release that took place of that son that said, listen, if this is the way your iniquity is going to take you, then you need to go that way until such a time as you recognize there's no life in it. It's death. But what a great picture when the son comes back. The father is waiting, looking, where's my son? And then goes and runs and embraces him. 
God hears the repentant heart. God hears the repentant heart. Praise the Lord for that. Because otherwise this would be the most depressing sermon in the history of sermons. Because we all deal with it. We establish that. We all deal with temptation. And we all battle iniquity. But God hears the repentant heart, the prayer. David, who sinned with Bathsheba, the the things that he did. And we'll talk about him a little bit more last week. Who committed murder. When Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him. And sin, David's sin is exposed. He is repentant. He is a broken man before the Lord. And God restores him. And it's a beautiful thing. But we have to understand that we deal with iniquity. That it's in us and we have to deal with it. We have to. We have to be aware. James 1, verse 12 through 5. I want to spend a few minutes here. So how does temptation work? See, because the idea then, if, if iniquity is in me, temptation can't just be an external thing. And I think sometimes we default to that. The devil is tempting me. The devil made me do it. It's all, it's demonic, it's outward. It's, or, okay, it wasn't the devil, but it was my little sister. Right? I have two younger sisters. Man, they got blamed for a lot of stuff. They get blamed for a lot of stuff that they didn't do. Why? Because there's iniquity in me. Seeking self. So how does it work? James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. You're going to get a crown. You persevere. There is a crown of life waiting for you. When, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But listen to this, church. But when each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, iniquity, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to tres- trespass, to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I'm going to read this and insert iniquity and trespass instead of uh, sin. So let's read this again. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own iniquity he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to trespass. And trespass, when it is full grown, gives birth. To death. There's a process happening here. And we could probably all, well, we could all relate to it. We can all relate to this because there's things, there's decisions that we've all made that are sinful decisions. They're trespass decisions that weren't birthed out of, hey, the, the enemy, Satan tempted me, the devil made me do it. Things that we could all say, you know what, that started in my own heart. There was something going on inside of me that saw something, that, that lusted after, after something, that wanted something that I wasn't supposed to have. And it was inside of me. What is that? That's your iniquity. Those things, those parts of your life who have, that have not been brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, where we entertain and say, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I've got this under control. Yet it's not us who has the control. It's that that has the control over us. 
Why? Because even over simple things that we would say, no, I got this, and we end up in a place where there's a trespass again, and we're going, how did I end up in this place again? How did I make the same mistake again? How did I, I the last time I, I did this, was, I said, was the last time. Never again. Ne- God, why am I at the, this altar again, repenting again for the same thing? Because what ends up happening is we deal with the trespass, the crossing of the line, but we never deal with the iniquity. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Why? Because I want the iniquity out and I want your purity to, to invade my life and to be the thing that keeps me where I'm supposed to, to, to be. I would mentioned earlier, if there's no desire, there's no temptation. If I don't, if I don't like something, I'm not going to be tempted by it. Tofu does not tempt me at all. Not at all. I don't care if you deep fry it and put it in chocolate sauce. It doesn't, there's nothing about tofu that just, I go, hmm. Porterhouse, different story, right? T-bone, yeah. The things in our lives that, that, that are a temptation to us are the things that we long for, that we desire for. And that, that, that might stem from, and I understand it, that, and, and know this, that, that I get this, that a lot of those things might come from hurts and pains and abuse and things in our lives that were outside of our control. But at the end of the day, we stand before the Lord and we carry a responsibility. We want to be a church that loves people well. My prayer is that you would feel loved in this place. Why? Because when you're in an environment that loves well, there's healing that takes place. And when God brings healing to broken places of our lives, He starts undoing the grip that iniquity and sinful desire would have. The things that God says, that's not what I have for you. And when I believe that I'm loved, I'm able to walk in a freedom that I've never walked in before. And so I have to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But if there's no desire, there's no temptation. So, so I need to identify in my own life the areas of desire that I have. What are the things, what are the propensities or the, the leanings in my own heart towards things that are not of the Lord? Or maybe there are things that, that, are God, that God has designed that the enemy has twisted and this world has twisted and deformed, right? Because if, if being conformed to the image of Jesus is our goal, then sin deforms and says, well, no. And I know this because in Genesis, in the book of, right in the beginning of Genesis, when the enemy comes to Adam and Eve, and he says to them, did God really say? And he questions the love of God questions he starts deforming and twisting the words the very words of god to bring confusion we have a responsibility to go to the word to be in this place to bring be in prayer and say god reveal those things in me those desires that are in me that do not honor you let me put out the flames it was just what just a couple years ago a year and a half ago that this mountain was on fire Aren't you glad that the firefighters came in and they did the work they needed to do, but they didn't leave until every remnant of that fire was out? Right? They come up looking for the hot spots. Why? Because you don't want another flare-up. And so often in our lives, in our own hearts, we deal with things and go, we, we put out the flame and there's glowing embers and we're like, yeah, that's good enough. And we walk away and God goes, no. 
Extinguish those things. Put them to death. Make the hard choices. Get away, like Joseph did, get away from the things in your life that are a struggle. For someone who's, who's battling alcohol or has ba- battled alcohol, right, what do you say? To, you go to an AA meeting and they're not going to say, hey, it's okay for you to go hang out at the bar. No. You, you will fail. You will not succeed in that environment. So you have to start making choices in your life that remove, remove you from the things that you, in your own heart, desire. And find the healthy places for those things. The healthy expressions. There are those desires that are good that the enemy twists and the world twists. And then there's just desires in us that God says, that's not from me. You need to get rid of that. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It is hard, hard, hard work. It's a daily, daily, daily battle. See, sin, temptation wants to lure us away from God's will. James says here that when we let that thing have a place in our heart, when we give it room and say, it's all right, I'll, I'll camp out on that for a little while. It doesn't say that you walk into sin. It says you are dragged away. You are dragged away. The picture here is I no longer have control. I can't stop. I don't know how. The problem is it's already too late. Some of us try to manage our sin. And God says, purify your heart. Get rid of the iniquity because you will never be able to manage sin. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. We're not called to, to, to manage sin. We're called to walk in the victory that Jesus has for every one of us. Each one by his own evil desire is dragged away and enticed. And in that process, it gives birth, conceived and then gives birth to sin, to trespass. Can you notice where the, the dragged away happens? It's not before the trespass. It's in the midst of the iniquity. The dragging takes place internally. It's not the, it's not the external. We're going to have to hold till next Sunday. I want to finish with these two thoughts and we'll be done. Two things to leave you with. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not sin. How do we know this? Well, Hebrews tells us that Jesus has been tempted in every way we've been, yet was without sin. So temptation cannot be sin because Jesus was without sin. It's important for us to remember because when I remember that temptation is just temptation, that I can say no, that I can walk away. See, because the enemy would want, to walk, want you to walk in co- condemnation and not in freedom. Amen? The enemy would want to say, hey, even you, that thought entered your head. You're condemned. And I know you felt it, and I felt it. You even thought the thought, done. Right? And, and, and most often, it's the words of Jesus that get quoted in our own heads, right? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And it just de-escalates from there, and you're like, listen, temptation is not sin. Iniquity is sin. 
But temptation, the battle, is not the sin. It's the, the temptation is the point where we, we run to Jesus and say, Lord, help me in this. Give me victory over these things. Jesus was tempted. In fact, the enemy tempted him and said, Hey, listen, I know you're hungry. Cause these rocks to, to, to turn to bread. And Jesus quotes the word of God to him. I mean, Jesus could have just said, be gone. He quotes the word of God. Why? Because he's modeling for us. Jesus was tempted, and he, and he responded with the word of God. Hide God's word in your heart. Why? So that when you're tempted, you can call on the word of God and speak against those things. And then second thing is this. Temptation is not an excuse. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that when you're tempted, God will always provide a way out. He will not tempt you beyond what you're able to handle. There's always an out. Why doesn't he just make the door bigger? Well, because we talked about the crucible for for gold and silver, right? Or the furnace for gold, the crucible for silver. There's a refining process. And every time when temptation is knocking at the door and the iniquity inside of me says, yeah, go that way. And God says, no, I've made a way out for you. And I stop and I go, no, and I walk through this door. I, I am more refined than I was before. I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so he makes a way. There is a way to walk in victory. But we have to choose to go there. We have to call things what they are. Now, next Sunday, don't miss it, because we're going to talk about some practical next steps. Right? Because now we know. All right. Now we know, and knowing is half the battle. But now what do we do with what we know? What is the next step for us? How do we put these things into practice? Probably no big surprises what they are, but don't miss it anyway. Things that we can do practically to help walk this out. Can we stand together? Can I tell you this morning, church, there is hope. There is strength. There is power. That you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. You are more than conquerors. That God has not called you to live under sin, subject to iniquity. It's not his design. Otherwise, Jesus would never have come. But because Jesus came, he has broken those chains. He's broken those chains once and for all. Paul says in Galatians, it's for freedom that you've been set free. God wants you to live free. He wants you to live victorious. It's his desire for you. And he's given you everything you need to be able to walk in it. Are there hard conversations that need to be had? Probably. Every one of us, no matter how close or far we feel from Jesus, no matter matter how mature we are in the Lord, there's always things we can deal with. It breaks my heart when I hear about pastors and leaders in the church who fall morally and make decisions, and, and the whole world just goes, or people go, what happened? Where they allowed the iniquity to start having more place than it should, and it got control of their lives. We're not called to live alone. We're not called to live isolated. That every one of us can, can share with a friend, sit down with someone we trust, 
talk about the things, right, in our heart. I, I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. But there's something about when I'm, I'm able to talk about what I'm battling with, when I deal with my iniquity on the outside, when I bring it out and expose it to the light, and that that power is just sapped right out of it. Find people that you can connect with. Go to a life group. I'm not saying your first time in a life group, you just go to sit and go, hey, here's every... No, not at all. But if you're not building relationship and getting closer to people that care, that opportunity won't present itself. Find someone. Have a conversation. Know God's word. Let's see God bring victory in our day. Amen. Father God, thank you. Lord, that you've not called us to live defeated lives. That you've called us to overcome. To live victorious in you. Father God, you tell us to to flee the, the lustful, sinful desires of our youth. God, I pray that you would fit each of our feet with holy running shoes. Lord, the same shoes that Joseph had on. That, Lord, when iniquity starts raising its head and starts putting things in front of us, when our own heart would lead us astray, and when the things of this world would sit in front of us and appeal to us, God, that we would run the other way, that we wouldn't hesitate, that we wouldn't wait. That we would cry out to you, that we would lean on a brother or a sister. Lord, we'd get, get out of the place that, we, that, that we're in, the place that's safe. Thank you, Lord, that you never tempt us, you allow, that, that you don't tempt us. And not only that, Lord, that you don't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. Thank you that your spirit your angels are watching over us, holding those attacks at bay. Lord, I, ta- I pray that we would learn to take the opportunity to walk away, to get away from the temptation and walk into the things that you have for us, creating us a clean heart. In Jesus' name, amen.